I'm working on this sermon, uh, and I am stuck. We have too many questions, uh, so whatever. Stuck, man. It sounds like you might need a break. Maybe grab a Diet Dr. Pepper, stretch your legs, go for a walk, do something. Well, i got to get away from these questions. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. I am going to take a walkabout, as they say. Yeah. All right, see you, Dave. Oh, hey, Megan. Okay. What are you up to? I'm just making some copies because we have launch night coming making up. Making copies. Launch night. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes. That sounds like so much more fun than what I'm doing. I'm excited. What are you up to? Oh, I am so jammed up on this sermon. I love this series, but we have so many questions. How do I know which one to answer? It's crazy, but whatever. We'll get it figured out by Sunday. Are you looking for questions? Because I have a question that a bunch of students have been asking me, and I really I don't know so what to do. I am so not looking for questions, but whatever. Sure, give me your question, Megan. Okay, so how far is too far? You're kidding me. Okay, I know. I get this, though. You're a youth minister now. you got to know an answer. I mean, I was a youth minister for 15 years. I got asked this question, too. Okay. I, and the thing is, I got asked this enough, I feel like I've got an answer. So how far is too far? Are you ready for my answer? Yeah. Okay, so the impulse for this question is great, right? So a student would only ask you this question if they've already got two things figured out. One, they've figured out that physical intimacy is super attractive and interesting and enticing. And that's, of course, true. But they've also figured out that God has a plan and a pattern for our lives, and they wouldn't even ask the question if they weren't interested in maybe connecting with that. So when a student asks you this, like you're super excited, this is a student who's trying to think about the world in a godly way. But even though the impulse for this question is always um, good, uh, the question itself is not a great question. And, the, and this is really, as a, as a discipler, what you want to hear is why this question is such a bad question. And the reason the question is such a bad question is because it implies a theory of morality that actually isn't even Christian. The theory of morality that question implies is there are some rules that I can't break or God's going to be really mad at me, but as long as I don't break the rules, everything is fine. And that's not a Christian view at all. First of all, the rule-breaking part, we all break rules. We're saved by grace, not because we keep the rules. So that part of it isn't very Christian. But the other part that, like, all God cares about is that we don't break rules, that actually isn't the way the Bible talks about our, our lives of holiness at all. Um, it, it'd be better to say not how far is too far in this direction, but how holy is too holy. How good is too good? How loving is too, too loving? And then you discover, oh wait, there's no limit in that direction. So what you're trying to help students do is actually replace the question. Instead of how far is too far, that you want to ask a question like this. How can I maximally pursue holiness in my relationships? My, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, how can I make sure that relationship is as holy as possible, as God-honoring as possible? And here's the thing. You might think, okay, that's too much. But actually, teenagers are well-equipped to handle a question like that. I have talked to, now in my case, it's mostly I'm sitting down with teenage guys. And they come to me with this question, and they want to know where the line is. But here's the thing. If I give them a boundary, what they'll do is stay as close to that boundary as possible. And in the context of getting as close to that boundary as possible, temptation will rise, 
Willpower will fall, passion will get excited, and they will cross it. When we stay next to the boundary for sin, temptation goes up, passion goes up, we always cross it. Instead, and I've done this with young men and young women, I just say, no, I'm not going to play the boundary game. I'm going to say, you have an opportunity to maximally love this person. Now, part of the reason I always say it this way is because this is the way the Bible says it. Uh, if you, listen, if you've got time and they ask you this question, jump in to Galatians. Okay, so here's what Paul says in Galatians 5. Galatians, Galatians, of course, he spent four chapters establishing we are no longer under the law. The law is accomplished by Christ. We are in grace. We are under grace. We are under grace. So you might think, okay, then there is no such a thing as too far. All the boundaries are gone. But here's what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So free from the law. That's what he's been talking about. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And we can just see that instantly applies to a teenager's dating life. Don't use, you're free, but don't use that to indulge your sinful nature, to indulge your flesh. Instead, serve your boyfriend, serve your girlfriend humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll destroy each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. I mean, again, I don't know what, that's the whole answer. Walk by the Spirit, do not satisfy the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. And so you can't do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So this isn't about don't break the rule. It's about following the spirit. Now he goes on. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and stuff like that. Okay, so he's saying, obviously, that's what the flesh leads us to. So yeah, don't do that, sure. Those who live like this aren't inheriting the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in us, that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against these things, there's no law. And that goes back to this question. There's no boundary. How joyful is too joyful? There, be as joyful as you want. How peaceful is too peaceful? How kind is too kind? How good is too good? How self-controlled is too self-controlled? That's relevant to this question. And he's like, there's no limit. Be as self-controlled as you want to be. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, you do have some tough conversations. You say to somebody, like, you don't understand how hard it will be for me to pursue self-control in my physical relationship with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend. And you're like, no, actually, I get exactly how hard that is. It's a lot like crucifying your flesh. That's what he says here. Then he ends, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Now, are there boundaries? Sure. Uh, the Bible is clear. Anything moving towards sexual satisfaction belongs to a husband and wife. But if you're working with a kid, or quite frankly, even an adult, who is playing the game of finding where the boundary is and getting as close as they can without going over, well, first of all, they'll always go over, and they miss the whole point of what Paul's teaching. The freedom we have in Christ is not to indulge the flesh, 
but to maximally express the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if it helps when you're working with kids, let them know they aren't the only ones who ask this question, and by asking the question, reveal that they've misunderstood. Uh, adults do this all the time. You know, how many secrets can I tell before I become a gossip? How much can I spend to myself before I become greedy? How little can I serve before I'm lazy? How much can I complain before it qualifies as dissension? Or, or how risque can my media habits be? What I watch on Netflix, how risque can it be before it crosses the line into pornography? I mean, we do this all the time. And go read Galatians. He says, don't indulge the flesh even a little bit. Instead, don't worry about what crosses the line into greed. Instead, be as generous as you can be. Just, he says, just run the other day and you'll never have to worry about the boundary if you're just pursuing holiness. Now, last thing, get super practical. If you forget all that or don't have time and you're working with a middle schooler, uh, the answer is holding hands. That's how far is too far. You, just holding hands, nothing past there. Your parent, their parents will be so thrilled. Okay. So if you forget everything else, stick with holding hands. Okay, I'll tell them just holding hands. Yeah, and, and the other stuff too? Yeah. Yeah, okay, you got it. All right, good, okay. All right, well, Megan, I need a question break, so I'm gonna go finish my walk. Hey, Gracia. Keep working hard, Nikki. Hey, Eric. Hey, Ethan, you got a second? Sure, I got a second, yeah, what's up? Okay, well, are you, am I interrupting anything? I know you're working on Glad You Asked. But... Yeah, I'm just working on Glad You Asked. Okay. Just a little stuck, yeah. Okay, um, so question I've got is, this is a question somebody asked me. Wait, uh, you're adding a question to my list? Well, well, this is, I just need help. Okay, all right, sure, what, okay. what'd they so, ask you, what'd they ask um, So, why is it that sometimes you can be asking the Lord to help you repent with a particular sin of the mind, or the sin of the flesh, uh, but then you just continue to fall back into it just again and again and again. Oh, man. I know it's not an easy question. No, no, no. But I mean, my problem is I wish, I wish I had no experience with this question. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish it was like, oh, I've never heard this question or thought about this question or whatever. Uh, but the reality is, um, I mean, so, yeah, sin of the mind, I'm stuck in it, I hate it, I repent of it, and then I'm back at it. Sin of the flesh, I'm stuck in it, I hate it, I repent it, I'm back at it. Yeah, the reality is, I know that experience, and I've talked to tons of people. Um, so, okay, any answer you're going to give your friend, it's got to start with Romans 7. Okay. So, Romans is this letter all about God's grace, and God's law, and God's love, uh, but in Romans 7 and 8, uh, Paul talks about really his own struggle, which is a mirror for our struggle with sin. Uh, and he actually talks about pervasive sin, much like what your question is about. So verse 15, here's what he says. I don't understand what I do. Which is sort of that question, right? Like, What's wrong with me? I don't want this sin in my life. I repent of this sin, and yet then I return to it. So he says, I don't know what I do. What I want to do, I do not do but I hate what I do. Isn't that exactly like the question, right? I hate what I'm doing, okay? Uh, what I want to do, I do not do. I hate what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, then fundamentally, I agree that the law is good. I'm, and again, I agree that God's way is good. It's the way I want to go. 
as it is, it's no longer I who are doing it, it's sin alive in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Again, so, I mean, what, how, where would I start my answer? I would start my answer by, listen, whatever it is you're struggling with, as you try to repent but cannot break free, Paul's been there. I've been there. Lots of Christians have been there. He, he goes on, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil thing that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. And if I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do, it, it, it's... I'm not in control of myself. It's sin living in me that does it. He says, I find this law to be at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. And I feel like this when I pray sometime, right? The me that is really me wants to do things God's way. But then the me that actually seems to be in control of my life keeps doing things all these other stupid ways that I hate. I, I, I totally know what Paul's talking about. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I mean, so this just sounds awful, but like anybody who's struggled with a persistent sin knows exactly where Paul's going. And then Paul asks the big question, what a wretched man I am, stuck in this pattern of sin that I hate. What a wretched man I am. Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? So, the first place you start is in Romans 7, because that's the question we're asking. I've tried it on my own strength to repent of the sin that I hate, and I keep going back to it and back to it, and I hate it, and I repent, and I keep going back to it. And we get to this question, who is going to rescue me? Now, thankfully, Paul doesn't make us wait for an answer. It's the next verse. If you're reading along with somebody, you got Romans 7 out, it's who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me, who rescues me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, yeah, I myself, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin, and Jesus is the one who knows how to solve this. And he goes on, we could, I wish, you know, if you had time, you'd read all of Romans 8. Absolutely. But, but maybe we'll just read six more verses so you can get a flavor for okay. how he, he turns. So he asks the question, who's going to rescue me? Oh, right, it's Jesus. And then he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life will set you free from the law of sin and death. This thing we've just been talking about, right? For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, that's what he's experiencing, the weakness of his flesh, God did. So we can't do it because our flesh is weak, but God does it by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful human to be a sin offering. And so he condemned, condemned sin in human flesh, that's Jesus, so that the righteous requirements of the law could be met. We can't meet them, but Jesus can meet them in our lives who do not live now according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he gives an insight that's going to become practical. We're going to get practical in a second, but we've got to get theological first. We've got to know there is a deliverer. He gives this insight, those who live according to the sinful nature, according to their flesh, which is what we're talking about. How, why am I stuck? 
Those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind that's controlled by the flesh, it, it leads to death. But the mind that's controlled by the Spirit leads to life and peace. And so that's the text. There are other relevant texts too, but that's the key one. Romans 7 and 8. And what are we gonna, how are we going to summarize this so they get the point? So first of all, they got to know their rescuer. When you're stuck in this, you get the illusion that I'm supposed to be my own rescuer. So you're, you're asking, like, how do I get strong enough to really repent and mean it this time? No, you are not your own rescuer. Christ is your rescuer. Then the second thing we learn from this text is the way forward is to train your mind on the Spirit. You know the old joke, uh, don't think about a pink elephant, right? <laughs> Quick, Eric, yeah. don't think. As soon as you do that, everybody <laughs> thinks about a pink elephant, and that never works. And that's what happens when our strategy to avoid sin is like, don't do it, don't do it, I'm not going to do the sin again, I'm not going to do the sin again. What we're actually doing is training our minds to the desires of the flesh. We're actually thinking more about the desires of the flesh. And Paul says those who train their minds to the desires of the flesh eventually get overwhelmed by the desires of the flesh. Instead, so after we know our rescuer, the second thing we do is we train our mind. A mind trained on the flesh, it creates a spiritual gravity. But so does a mind trained on the spirit. It creates a spiritual gravity that pulls us toward the things of the spirit. Real practically, and we'd have to go to other Bible verses to say this, but I would say this. Number one, I would say freedom is possible. People do repent and turn from persistent sin. Uh, usually, as a practical matter, it starts with confession. And for most people, just telling the truth to God isn't enough. They're going to have to find somebody. I had to find somebody. Everybody has to find somebody they can just talk about their sinfulness with. Um, during a season of my life when I was really stuck in persistent sin, my, my mind was transformed uh, by a line from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote this great book called Life Together, and he writes this. He says, the one who is alone with their sin is utterly alone. He says it can be that a Christian who goes to corporate worship and corporate prayer and corporate study and corporate service can still be completely alone. The final breakthrough to fellowship comes when they not only have fellowship as a believer, but they also have fellowship as a sinner. When they bring their full reality into their spiritual relationship. So know your rescuer, it's Jesus. Train your mind on the things of the Spirit. Trust that freedom is possible, but you're going to have to confess your sin. You're going to have to tell somebody. Find an ally. Galatians 6, find an ally who has walked the journey you need to walk to freedom and say, would you help me? Would you stay with me? Would you stick with me? And then ultimately, we both trust in grace. That's this, we have, who will rescue me? Jesus. Even though I'm stuck in my sin, Jesus. We trust in grace, but we also trust in sanctification. That those God has saved grace, God actually intends to produce a harvest of righteousness in our life. And as we trust in that, and we trust in God's Spirit, we will begin to see fruit. Does it happen as fast as we want? Well, it never happened that fast for me, but it does begin to happen. Well, 
I got to get back to writing this sermon, yeah. so maybe that answer is helpful. There's more we could say, but hope that helps you. Cool. Thank you. All right. Appreciate sure thing, it. man. Take care. Yeah, you too. Hey, John. Ethan, Ethan, I have the answer. Oh, I am so glad to hear you have the answer because I've gotten oh, yeah. all day our questions. I don't even, what do you mean you have the answer? Well, I don't even I know what question we've got. It's kind of both. You know, you were asking what question are you no, going to look No, no. If you have another question, that, oh, I've gotten too many questions today. Well, but this is the one. You need to hear this okay. one. This better be the one because I have to actually write a sermon at some point. Well, okay. this right. is going to help. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Check right, it out. It. The writer of this question puts it this way. I have a question to be considered for the Glad You Asked series. All right. Is it not wrong slash inappropriate to apply all scripture to ourselves, especially removing just one line and taking it out of context? Oh, I like that. For okay. example, they Ooh, go they on. Oh, got an example. Okay. Oh, listen. This is a long question. This is a very, very thoughtful person. Okay, so person. we're talking about taking scripture out of context, wrong to apply. Okay, keep going. There What's you their go. example? For example, in Joshua chapter 1, God tells Joshua that he will not leave him or forsake him and to be courageous when he was about to begin his war on the Canaanites. Okay, and as I recall, he like tells them that three times in that chapter. It I is think. repeated yeah. okay. several times. All right, okay, good deal. Okay. Isn't that, this is, the, this is the, the person asking the question, isn't that meant for Joshua in his specific God-appointed situation and not for me to assume that everything God said also applies to me? I'm not going to ambush a city, so why would I'm I... I'm glad to hear that, actually. It is I don't a know good who wrote thing. it, but I'm glad they're not planning to ambush At a city. At least this person in our church is not ambushing the city. Not planning to ambush a city. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm not going to ambush a city, so why would I cherry-pick that verse that I want to apply and use common sense to avoid other nearby verses? I hear and read things like this often. Just today, received a daily devotion from a respected teacher quoting a similar verse, Deuteronomy 31, 6, and applying it to our lives and pointing to Jesus as the answer, which is completely out of context with the story in Deuteronomy. I would love to hear Ethan's thoughts on this. All right, okay, so I've gotten a lot of good questions. Why are you so sure, like, this is the one that I need you? What makes you think this is such a good question? I think it's an incredible question because... What this person is getting at, especially when we look at the Old Testament, sometimes we wonder, okay, what parts of this relate to me and what don't? Like, for example, religious codes and purity codes and sacrificial systems. So all the instructions about how to give a sacrifice and all that. That's right. Well, as Christians, we believe Jesus fulfilled all of that. He's so, the new lamb, the new priest, the new temple. That's right. So, so that's not part of my what life. What should I do? With How do we apply that? All okay. of that? And then, and then there are specific instructions to sometimes communities of people, but sometimes individuals. Should I take a specific instruction to a community or to a person and apply it to me when it was meant for them? Yeah. God, the Bible says, Abraham moved to Canaan. Does that mean we're all supposed to move to Canaan? I hope not. Okay, I hope not too, because I love East Tennessee. Okay, so what we need are some, I don't know if rules are the right word, but some interpretive strategies help me filter that help us figure out, out what applies. Yeah. All right, well, this isn't going to cover every situation, but okay, think me through this. See, i got two ideas that seems like they would cover a lot of the most important chunks. 
it seems to me if a teaching or a part of the Old Testament um, is revealed in and rooted in the character of God, like that is probably going to have some pretty direct application because God's character is consistent, you know, same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if we have a psalm that talks about, you know, lead me beside still waters or protect me or you knit me together, all these things that are rooted in the character of God, that seems to me a clue that we could look for. And then, of course, the other one, I guess, is probably the more obvious one, probably I should have started here, is... Um, if Jesus talks about it, or like if Jesus reaffirms it, or if Paul reaffirms it, if the New Testament reaffirms it, that's going to be clarity. Okay, so that wasn't like sort of finished up by Jesus, but that is continuing forward into the present moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we look at things like the nature of God and God's mercifulness. Oh, yeah, yeah. We see that in the religious system, the purity codes, the sacrificial right. system. We see it repeated in other parts of the scriptures about how the, as far as the East is from the West, right? My right. sins have been removed. But that is something consistent in the New Testament. That right. Happens. So it's rooted in the character of God, which right. is reliable. Right. And it's reaffirmed in the New Testament, which means we know it isn't part of some holiness code or something that sort of has been fulfilled by Jesus in a way that doesn't directly apply yeah. to us. Okay. And, and this would mean that there would be some texts, like the, the questioner implied, there would be some texts that we can look at and say, okay, that... I probably can't pull and directly apply. Like, so I think about a lot of texts that were specific prophecies about the political nation of Israel. We don't see that kind of nation-building politics strategy in the New Testament. And while those commands are often rooted in God's character, they're not necessarily about God's character. They're about that situation. And so probably it would be uh, foolish for any modern nation to say, what God said about Israel is now true about us. We're, we're that, and to claim that. But I actually think the text they list, mm -hmm. I think it passes our test. We're talking about Joshua Yeah, 1. we're talking about Joshua, Joshua 1, right? So yeah. um, now, we, we can look at that text, right? So um, in that text, it does say, go conquer this town and this town. Yeah. That's about circumstance. Mm -hmm. By itself, that's not a declaration of God's character. And it's not repeated by Paul. It's not repeated by Jesus. Jesus never told so his people that, to do that doesn't pass our yeah. test. And so I think the person who said, I don't think we're actually just using sort of just our common sense to discern wow. one verse from another, one claim from another. I think we actually have these tools we can ask. Is it an expression of the character of God? And is it repeated by Jesus? And in particular, the Joshua 1.9 promise says, you know, I have commanded you, I have called you, so be strong and courageous because I go with you. Every single part of that promise is about the character of God. We have a God who calls us, a God who is with us, a God who protects us. Every part's about the character of God, not actually about the circumstance. And every part of that is repeated by Jesus. In a very real way, one of the things that you're teaching us is that, like you said, it's not just the common sense, but the New Testament itself is a tool we have been given to help us yeah, reflect. It's the lens that clarifies for us how to apply, continue to apply God's very true word in our present moment. All right. You have me convinced. That's the question we're going to do on Sunday. I thought it was good. All right. You were right. That was just the help. I needed.
Um, wait, Peter, have, have you been there the whole time? Yeah, we've literally been here this entire time. Did you get all that? Yeah, we're good. Oh, we are totally making that the sermon on Sunday. I'm going on vacation. We're done. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, call that a wrap. So if this is the sermon, there are a couple of things I need to cover. If you're a guest here, I'm so glad you're here with us. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers, and I hope you've had a great day. And maybe you've got a couple questions answered. And yeah, no doubt, uh, most of Joshua 1 is about instructions to Joshua about what cities to conquer and why and when and how. And probably God is never going to call you to conquer the city once promised to your ancestors. But you do have a calling. You have a calling to love your neighbor and reach the lost. You have a calling to be the mother or father, husband or wife that your family needs you to be. You have a calling to resist temptation. You have a calling to pursue holiness. You are called. And for all the reasons we just discussed, I believe that God's encouraging words to Joshua are true to you. They're true because they are about God's character, and God's character is reliable. And they're true because they're reaffirmed throughout the New Testament that God is with you, that God has called you, and that God can make you brave. So I actually do think this verse from the Old Testament we can just quote like it's God's word to each one of us. Joshua 1.9, God says, Have I not called you? Then be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word does speak to the questions of our lives. How do we, instead of walking the line of sin, instead pursue holiness and the fruit of the Spirit? How do we find freedom when we are trapped in patterns of sin we just can't break out of? And how do we know that when you call us, you go with us? And therefore, we can be strong. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for our time together. Now bless us throughout the coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.